0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have it, to 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verse 12 to 17 today, or your scripture journal, if you have that with you. And again, I'll just say, I I always appreciate when people, not that everyone comes up to me and and shows me things in their scripture journal, but once in a while I I see, and some people um, use that to to draw pictures, and some people don't just learn by writing things down, but just, um, you know, have a creative side and and draw pictures and express themselves in that way, helps to remember, and I I love that, so that's just a tool for you to use um, along with this series. All right, so we have been talking in this series, First John, about these, these tests, these tests of spiritual authenticity. And so we've talked about them being the test of, of truth, theological truth, who Jesus is. Talked about the, the test of obedience, the one that that actually is in the light is one that that follows the commands, that is obedient to the commands. And then also about love, uh, the test of love we talked about last week, loving your neighbor. You can, if you don't, if you say you, you love God but, but hate your neighbor, then how can the love of God be in you, all right? So those are the, the tests. Now, when we talked at the beginning of this series about the tests, we said, you know, not everybody, we don't really like the word tests or having exams or whatever in school. Uh, I was one that had uh, a kind of a... Mostly hate, but love hates we're talking about love and hate, but this this is okay. I think about math and uh, How many of you love math? There's some of you that just love. Oh see there's so many of you. Oh I can't believe it. It's it's good. We need you. We need good strong math people, but for me it wasn't me, but I had uh, I was in mr. Friesen's grade 10 and grade 11 uh, algebra class and I was known as the pendulum kid That's what he would call me because there was, it was just from one test to the other, it would just completely swing. On one, I would just ace it, and then the next one, I would just completely fail. And he was mystified by this. He's like, what's going on? And and it wasn't like I was cheating on the ones that I was acing. It was just sometimes it just clicked right? Sometimes some particular math things just work and other things it's like I got I have no idea what that is and that was the way my brain at least worked and so sometimes I did well sometimes I bombed it but then report cards would come out right and and this is well at least at then it was kind of the ultimate measuring tool or so they said and and in this way I was kind of the The high school king of mediocrity Uh, you know this was something that I had a 71% average in grade 10 a 70% average in grade 11 and the sad and lowly 69% in grade 12 so I was declining good thing it only went to grade 12 but then came Bible College and suddenly, I, I had a, a desire to learn and grow, and this, this was stuff that I that I enjoyed learning about probably more than math. And and I I did fairly well in my first couple years. Not you know I I played some hockey, and you know there was girls things you know that just distractions, right? Those those evil girls that distract you. Uh, sorry, this was before Tanya. This was before Tanya. <laughs> But then, uh, and so I, I determined actually in my third year and, and Tanya and I had been dating and actually had got engaged. And then in that time, Tanya went home um, and uh, she was working so that we could afford to get married and, and live after that. And so she was doing that. and I thought, I'm going to really put my, my effort into my studies and I'm going to try to make the, the Dean's List, which I, I think it was something like 3.45 or something like that. And, uh, and so I'm going to go for it. And I had no distractions at that point, And I was just, I'm going to put my everything into it. And I worked hard, studied hard. And I got my, my grade point average was 3.44 like a hair short. And at that point, I just said, forget about that. <laughs> I was like, this is, that's not worth it. I was missing out on more fun in the dorm and stuff just because I was trying so hard. But anyways, it was, it was the, the grades, right? This was the report card saying, this is what you do well and uh, where can you improve. And this is what would happen when you were maybe a little kid like me or, or you know, even today, maybe you get your, your kids get a report card and they say one thing, this is what you're doing well. Right? Kind of builds you up. This is where, where you're doing well. And then there's little notes that say, this is where, you know, little Billy could improve. <laughs> These are some things. Maybe, you know, pay more attention in class or, or whatever. Little things like that. Well, the text today is, is similar. It's a report card, really, for the, the church that John was pastoring. After instructing them on the, the first go-around of, of the test for spiritual authenticity, and again, we've said this weaves its way throughout the book of First John, so we'll come back to some of these things again. But this, this group, they may have been thinking, man, I don't know, this is, this is pretty hard, I, and, and thinking this question, am I in the light? They might have maybe starting to have some, some doubts. And so the first part of this text is where John is, is giving them some assurance Encouragement, words of assurance. So here we go. Let's read it. First John chapter two, verse twelve to seventeen. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. All right, so there we go. So far, we stopped there and that that sounds good. This is encouraging. This is assuring them. Then turns to, okay, here's here's some warnings. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever." All right, so first of all, there is this assurance, this word of assurance, saying, you, you know, you are, you are in the family. You are in the family. So he speaks to children, which will declare, you know, as far as what John has already stated in terms of calling the church children, and we'll see that more in chapter 3, the beginning of that. We are, we are children of the Father of God, and so this is speaking to everyone. Then there's the fathers. These are those who are mature in the faith and then to, to young people those who are younger in faith all right so first of all the children all those in the believing community and this is what he says to them in this sort of repetitive uh, circular writing that he does here <clears throat> he says they have, you've been forgiven of your sins and you know the Father and that is, that is what it means to be in relationship with God. That means that they are in the light because they have relationship with the Father. They know the Father and they've been forgiven. They've experienced the love and the grace, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and what he did for them. And then he speaks to the fathers, these, those who are mature in the faith. He says, you've known him who is from the beginning. There's that term again, the beginning that, first, that John uses in his book. From the beginning. These are ones who are mature. They're seasoned in their faith. And I want to say this is that among us in this church, we have those who are are mature. You're you're seasoned in your faith. You have been walking a long road of obedience with Jesus. And I'll say this is that we, we need you in this body. We need you to tell stories of God's faithfulness. And we need you to be elders, not just ones that are sitting on the church board of elders. Ones that actually people can walk, come to and hear stories the young can look to as examples of faithfulness. Then John speaks to the, the young men, those who are younger in, in their faith. And these ones are, are strong. They have, they have zeal. You know, one of the things that, that Tanya and I is, we, we work out at SCBC with young leaders. And one of our, our favorite times is this season of May and June, where we get to work primarily with about 30 young adults who are just like almost scared spitless of their role and their, you know, what's coming in this, in this summer. And yet they just have this, this desire to please God, to serve God. And we just, we just feed off of that and we, and we grow together. This is why we, we love them. There's these young leaders at, at camp are ones that, that just stir us up and, and help us also to just keep going. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Even in, in our church here, in our, our youth and, and our young adults, we see this. There is there's leadership among our young, young people that is, that is growing. It's thriving. Our youth ministry, the mission statement that they have come up with, is a beautiful thing. It's equipping youth for service, empowering them with opportunities, and engaging the lost. Like this is that is a that is an impacting mission statement. That's what what we are about. That's is why our youth ministry does what they do, for those reasons. John says that these, these young people have, have overcome the evil one. And this is, this is not to say that this is by their strength, their energy, and that they have you know, raised up their, their big muscles. You know, they do lots of working out, some of our young people. That they're like, they're so strong, they can overcome the enemy on their own. No, this is, this word overcome, they have overcome. It is perfect tense. It's something that has been completed, and that has been completed in Jesus. Jesus is the one that has overcome the evil one he says they are strong you know our young people they have the same Holy Spirit as those who are mature Isaiah 61 verse 3 is a, a beautiful picture of of the strength um, of a character of those who are young that grow grow strong it's an oak of righteousness it says that they would become oaks of righteousness for the display of God's glory That is what I would love for for each of us to look around and we see our our youth and our young adults and to start, you know, to pray that over them, that they would be oaks of righteousness. You know, when you get to see the picture of an an oak, I mean, it is a a big tree, right? It is a solid tree. It is grounded. Wouldn't that be a a beautiful picture to see of our, our youth and young adults moving into maturity, that they are oaks of righteousness. Firmly planted, rooted in God's word. And that's what he says is really the, the reason for it. That the word of God abides in you. The word of God abides in you. So that, that's encouraging. This is assuring to those who are wondering, man, I don't know if I hear all these things. This is true of you. You are, are in the family. So there's report cards that are encouragement. And now here comes, here comes the warning. You're still going to face temptation and so he says do not love the world two important points of clarification with this this statement two words that need defining love and the world because at first glance it might seem like a, a contradiction here from from John, everything else we've heard about love means that it's it's love. Love is for everybody, right? Love everybody. You you love God. You love your neighbor. You love your brother, your sister. We heard last week. Even you know Jesus talks about loving your enemy. So love, great, everyone. Then all of a sudden he says, "Do not love." Do not love and this seems like even a, a contradiction to to the words of of his earlier book in in the gospel of john three sixteen, where it says god so loved the world and so we think scratching our heads like so god loves the world but here he's telling us we are not to love the world so there needs to be some clarification what he's talking about with love here is a, it's a steady devotion of the will It's not just a fleeting emotion it's a steady devotion of the will of will so do not have deep affections or a devotion to the things of this world or the system that's contrary to god and that's that's where we have to understand what he's talking about with the world here the world this word cosmos it can mean the created world The world that god created which which is good was good but now is is paul says groaning due to sin the brokenness in our world but one day it will be renewed and restored and god is about that in his kingdom work but there's also a different meaning of cosmos that he's using here and this is the world of sin the world of sin and so we could define the world like this it's the system that is aggressively in opposition to God, to his word, and to his ways. Let me ask you this. Does that, does that trigger anything for you as you look around in our world? As you look around in watching the news, as you hear stories of what is happening throughout the world, do you recognize that there is a world that is hostile to God and is hostile to his children? We can see that, right? It's been around a long time, this hostility, this aggressive opposition to God. And so John is saying, don't love that. Don't be partners with that. That part that is in darkness and is under the ultimate judgment of God. So do not love this this system of our world that is so contrary, so hostile to God. So why? He gives the reasons. Why are we not to love the world? First of all, because it's incompatible with relationship with God. It's incompatible. It's like it's having two loves. God's word tells us that God is, is a jealous God, right? He, he desires our affections, but we are so easily torn. And then we see it throughout scripture and the, and the, the people of Israel are always wandering in their affections away from God. But it's incompatible. You can't love the world and love the Father. As James says, you know, the friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. It it just doesn't work. It's it's incompatible. It's like I don't know. Um, I hesitate to bring this up, but I know that it is in our culture today is that there is a, a large number of people that watch The Bachelor. I won't ask for you to to raise your hands to say that you watch The Bachelor, but for a sake of example, if you know the show, there's, you know, the rose that goes to the, the choices of of the guy or the girl, whatever, that, that is choosing. Um, you know, who he's who kind of keeping around for a while. But ultimately, the very end, when it's a decision between two people, let's say it's a, a man that's, you know, choosing between these two. It's bachelor, I guess, is what I said. Uh, and so he's choosing. And so imagine that he takes the rose and he goes to one the one lady and says, you know, I, I just, I love you. Will you accept this rose? And she says, yes, yes, I will. And then he goes to the other and says, you know, can't help it, but I love you too. Will you accept this rose? How does that work? How does that work for him? It's incompatible to love too. Now, there might be a different reality show that You know, deals with that, but you know what I'm talking about. In most cases, this wouldn't this wouldn't fly, right? I love you, and I'm devoted to you. It's the steadfast devotion of my will. Everything in me is is towards you. Hmm. But you too. Not gonna work. Not going to work. And this is what what John is saying is that do not love the world. You can't love the world, the system that's opposed to God, and then at the same time say, God, I I love you, and I submit to you, and your authority, and I love you too. You can't be divided in your heart. He says if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so John gives us this this portrait of seduction, the world's seduction, which is not from the Father. First of all, he says there's desires, the desires of the flesh and of the eyes, of things that you don't have, but you crave. And this could be anything that draws us away from God or breaks fellowship with him. Selfish pleasures, things of the flesh, cravings within And then the eyes, from the outside, what you see and what stirs up those desires. This is not from God. James 1, 13 to 15, we just did a series in James, and he said this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So this is not from God. There is internal desires, sinful desires that drag us away. We see this in the beginning, Genesis 3, verse 6, where Eve looks at the forbidden fruit, and she sees it, and she says, this, is, this was pleasing to the eye. Second Samuel eleven also talks about this with David, allowing his, his eyes to wander, and he sees another man's wife, Bathsheba, bathing. And he took her, it says, and he had her husband killed. It was the lust of the eyes. Several clear sins of the flesh lists in the Bible you can you can find them I'll just read you one sometimes say what are we what are we talking about here what does this actually look like Galatians 5 verse 19 to 21 says this when you follow the desires of your sinful nature the results are very clear other translations say they're they're evident There's, there's no no mystery these are the results when you allow when you're led by those evil desires sexual immorality which is sex with anyone that you're not married to impurity Lustful pleasures, which can include like pornography, very prominent today, it's evident. Idolatry, other texts talk about greed being idolatry. Sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again as I have before that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those things are contrary to the word of God and the ways of God. John then goes on talking about the pride of life. Boasting. A Sinful pride in your stuff. The stuff of life and your status. This is the way of the world not of God. You know we're there's always a posturing, seeking to look down at others at what you, of what you have because of what you have or you don't have or who you are. It's an overconfidence in self as opposed to dependence on God. In Luke, Jesus tells this parable, familiar one, and, and uh, he says this, he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not not rich towards God. The pride of life, the stuff I have, the stuff I want, the position that I have, and basically an overconfidence in myself, as this guy had. He says, I've got it made, and I've done this myself. Jeremiah 9, 23-24 says, Thus says the Lord, Secondly, he says, don't, don't uh, love the world because of this, because it's inevitably an empty investment. It's like taking all, all your money, all your st- put it all on, on a stock and that stock just crashes. It's an empty investment. This is a portrait of the world. It, it, it is disintegrating. It's a doomed system. It's passing away, he says. Right now, It doesn't seem that way all the time. It seems like the way of the world, those that are powerful seem to keep getting more powerful. Those who are rich seem to get richer and richer. But no doubt, as John says, this this is a passing system. It does not last. It's a sinking ship. So John is saying that you need to release your attachment to it. I've been, I've been known to say this once in a while when, I, when someone gets a, a new vehicle um, or when I've had a new vehicle, I, I have to ask, I say the same thing to myself, but I, you, get a, you get a, I haven't had a lot of new vehicles, but I, I did get one, one time, and um, it's like, what is the best thing that could happen to you if you get a new vehicle, a nice, big, long scratch right along it, right? have your kid just like run their tricycle or whatever, right along the side of it. Some of you are like, oh no. Right, you just get that, that nice, beautiful vehicle and then, you know, your neighbor's kid or whatever throws something. Uh, we were at, we were at um, I had my truck parked at camp last summer. Well, it's always usually parked there, but um, we, had, we have a, a disc golf course all around the property at camp. Some of you maybe saw that last week when some of you were out there, but it's just, there's, there's discs flying like everywhere, all around, right? And and so one time, one of our, our staff comes up to me really sheepishly and says, uh, you know, Kimball, I, I gotta tell you, I'm sorry. I, I threw, you know, a really great shot. Like, really, really zinged it. But it just kind of took this bank, this curve, and it just curved and went right into your stall, your parking lot, and, and hit your truck uh, right on the passenger side, and, and I'm sorry, There's a, you left a ding. And, you know, everything in you is like, what? What were you doing? What were you doing playing disc golf by my truck? And then you're just like, okay, so this is what I've said before in the past to people. And it got some, the best thing is get a scratch, get a ding. Because why? Because it releases your attachment to something that is Temporal. We know this, of, our, of the stuff that we have that we hold so dear, but we know that it's, it's plastic, it's vinyl, it's aluminum, it's rubber, it's glass. It's like things that just are going to break. Now hear me, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be good stewards of the things that we have. But when we recognize that something that we have, a possession that we have, has taken hold of us, that we are, we're so concerned about it, that we, we stress about it, and we realize, as John tells us, that these things, the stuff of life that we have pride in, it's ultimately, it's, it's disintegrating. It's fading away. It's passing away. While God's ways and God's word lasts forever. So you think about the stuff that you, you value so much and you're putting so much stock in. again, It's not bad to have some nice things and take pride in it but are you so attached to that that it's causing a distance between you and God because you value that more than him this is also why you know as a church we we encourage you to be givers to be generous whether that's to to our church and obviously we have we have things we have to pay here to function as a church body and the ministries and the, the mission of our church, we invite you to be a part of that and welcome you to be a part of that. But whether it's another charity, whether it's something, another mission, organization, something like that, all this is true. The reason is this, is because when you're a giver, it's, it's releasing your grip on the stuff that you have that maybe has a hold or an unhealthy, ungodly attachment to you. And so when you give it and you say, this is, I'm, just, I'm giving, it releases that attachment okay four takeaways and then we're going to come to uh, to the lord's table today four things first of all this be on guard be on guard the world is hostile against god and against us as his kids as his children we have to recognize that and so be equipped don't fall prey to the principles of this world become a student of the word so that you know how to stand up to that which is contrary to God. And let me tell you this very clearly, you will need more than this little time on a Sunday morning for that to happen. The message of the world that is hostile to God is penetrating. It is powerful all week long. You're getting pummeled with it. So to think that this one hour and a half on a Sunday is going to prepare you. um, Don't fool yourself there's there's power in it there we believe the gathering of god's people is is effective and it's encouraging and you should leave here thinking okay i'm i'm gonna be um i want to grow in my faith but it takes more than that and it takes a daily commitment to that a steady devotion of your will towards god secondly be relentless in godly affections Closely monitor your desires and their sources. What are the things that are are stealing your affection for God? What are the things that stir up your affections for God and and move and value those things, spend time in those things? Look at the things that you you do spend your money on, the stuff that you think sometimes will make your life better or will match up to, to someone else who has that. Even when you, when you get something or you indulge in something that is sinful of the world, ask yourself, what is the source? What is, what is really about this that I expect to, to bring satisfaction to my heart? When, when if you're a child of God, you know that it's only found in God. Satisfaction is found in Him and His gifts. Thirdly, be generous in your attitude towards each other. As we said, there is, there is mature here. There is young in our church. So be generous towards each other. The wisdom of the mature, you have, you have so much to offer. And our youth need to, to see vibrant spiritual life in you. Fruit of a long walk in obedience with Jesus. And, and I'll say this as I, I reflect on this myself. Is that something that, is see, that others are seeing in me? And say that for yourself. And I would say, let's call each other up on that. Some of you that have been Christians for a long time, what's the fruit of your maturity? Have you, have you seen, have you been a part of disciple-making? Have you taken others alongside and encouraged them in their faith? Do not neglect this. And to you who are young, sometimes it's, it's really easy to disregard those who have some gray hair and say, oh, they, they've had their time. Or they don't know what they're talking about anymore. Listen to their wisdom. The zeal of the young, I'd say this to you who are are young, our youth and our young adults, start building biblical, spiritual practices into your life. Allow the word of God to take strong root in you. So important. Fourth and finally, be assured. Be assured. In relationship with the Father through Jesus is what John is saying to his kids in this church. Saying you are forgiven, and you have overcome. And know this: when it comes to our report cards, know that God has done the work through Jesus, His death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. And so, when you come to some of these tests and some of these desires of the flesh and lusts of the eyes and the pride of life, sometimes you can feel, "Man, I'm failing. I'm failing at this. This Christian life. It's hard, and I'm failing." Hear the beauty of the gospel, this this beautiful exchange that Jesus takes our place. That He pays the price for what we could not pay by His grace. And then He invites us into a life of surrender and obedience out of that relationship with Him. And this is what we recognize when we come to this, this table. It's not for those who've got A's on their report card out of their own merit. It's for those who say, Jesus, I I accept what you've done for me. And I'm grateful. And so this table is open to all who know Jesus, who love him, desire to know and love him more. So I'll remind you um, as our our worship team comes up. And and then we'll just have some time of preparation before we come to the table. Uh, Just some affirmations of, of who we are. If you've received Jesus by faith, then God's word says that you are a child of God. And in this church, we have mature people, we have young in their faith. We have those who have been forgiven, those who are in relationship with the Father, ones who have overcome the evil one. Again, only by the blood of Jesus do we have victory. And so we receive this today from the Lord with with gratitude in our hearts, and we remember what he has done. At the table, there is bread and there's a cup. And if this is a a new thing for you, feel free to to observe, to say where you're at. Uh, If you feel like, yeah, you're not quite sure about where you're at with Jesus, that's okay. You're you're fine to just observe, Uh, but also hear this as an invitation to come to Jesus today. And say, I, I need this in my life. This is this is the path where I've gone. The world has had a hold on me, and it's leading me down a path that is that is destructive, and ultimately it's a sinking ship. And so today I turn to you, Lord. I turn to you, Jesus, and I receive what you've done. And so we have the bread, and that that symbolizes his body that was given for us, that he took our place on the cross. And we have the cup. This juice that reminds us, that symbolizes his blood that was shed for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so we could enter into relationship with the Father. And that's only possible through Jesus and what he did for us. So at this table, as we invite you to come when you're ready after maybe just spend some time in quiet prayer, ask the Lord to to reveal anything in your heart uh, that you want to make right with him, to come before him. And then come to this table. We have a gluten-free option in the middle of the bread. Make sure you take that if that's what you need. And then just take the cup and the bread back to your seat and hold on to it. And then we will uh, receive it together at the same time at the end. Let me uh, give thanks for it. And then uh, we'll start a song and you can come when you're ready to receive it. Those who are serving could also come at this time. Father, we thank you for your gracious gift of your Son Jesus Christ, who took our place, who was the sacrifice for our sin. And we realize that in this world that is so hostile to God, there's so much about this that that just doesn't make sense. We want to do things on our own merit. We want to work hard. We want the glory, but we feel the failure. And yet, Lord, we come to you and we just say, Lord, you've you've forgiven us. We've come to you in faith and we've received your gift. It's just a free gift of of your grace. And so as you work among us in this room as a family, Lord, would you you speak to our hearts and would you assure us of our, our forgiveness That's found in Jesus. Would you assure us of our our relationship, of our knowing the Father because of Jesus? Would you assure us that we have overcome the enemy because of what Jesus did for us? And so in this moment, Lord, we say thank you for what you've done for us. And we are remembering you today of what you've done for us.